Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian. He was known for his opposition to the Nazi regime. He was imprisoned in Buchenwald and executed in 1945 for his part in a conspiracy to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Listen to what he wrote in his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In our Discipleship Matters series, we've defined a disciple as someone who lovingly follows Jesus, that's just the first part, and intentionally helps others follow him. Two weeks ago, we were challenged to live not according to the ways of the world, but according to the truth of God's word. Last weekend, we established that love for one another is the distinctive mark of a disciple. Here's our approach today. The sermon is going to be shorter. Some of you I know want to say amen to that. Others of you are probably saying, I believe it when I see it. Well, let me tell you why. The reason is because I want you to hear from Pastor Tim and Pastor Kyle as they share their hearts about the importance of intentional discipleship. Our passage for today is pointed. It's powerful. It's stunning. Shocking, even. These words spoken by Jesus are difficult and demanding. They're abrupt. They're offensive. They run counter to our Christian subculture. In fact, you may find yourself pushing back. Well, let's resist the urge to dilute these demands and allow the full force of them to jar us out of complacent and comfortable Christianity. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of God's word, and we're going to read our passage together found in Luke chapter 14. I invite you to read with me. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You can have a seat. So God, now would you help us to understand these words correctly and by your Holy Spirit, would you apply them to our lives that we might live them out personally in our families, among our friends, at our workplace, in our neighborhood, on our campuses. We commit these moments now to you. Use them for your glory and to change us in Jesus' name, amen. We make two observations before diving in. Observation number one, this is an urgent evangelistic passage. 
So in context, Jesus has just finished telling a parable about the importance of inviting people to his banquet. Well, you'll see it there, verse 23. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. But secondly, this is a very demanding discipleship passage. Jesus gives some conditions to those who are considering following him. Would you observe the word disciple is found at the end of verse 26. He cannot be my disciple. Again, at the end of verse 27, cannot be my disciple. If you fast forward, look at verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So a disciple's a learner, a follower. It was used to describe someone who was totally committed to a cause or a person. It comes from another word, which means to learn by practice or experience. So much like an apprentice, a disciple's one who emulates the teacher. Jesus said it this way, Luke 6.40, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So Jesus is more interested in having committed followers than he is in drawing a crowd of fickle fans. He wanted quality over quantity. And the main point he is making is while the family is foundational, following Christ must come first. And I see four discipleship demands in this passage. Number one, move from the crowd to the committed core. Look at verse 25. It sets the scene. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them. Jesus often drew big crowds, but he was not interested in being popular. This phrase means many multitudes or great throngs of people. Luke 12.1 gives us a description to help us see how crushing these kinds of crowds were. We read there where so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another. And Jesus, as he looked at the crowd, knew that many of them were following him for selfish and superficial reasons. So in the midst of all the fanfare, Jesus turns to them, which is actually a very dramatic act. It means this. It's the idea of twisting forcefully. So Jesus going this way, he twists forcefully and he looks right into the eyes of those following him. This same word was used to describe how Jesus locked eyes with Peter after Peter denied him three times. We read in Luke twenty two sixty one, and the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. And if you remember, that's when Peter left crying. So what did Jesus want to tell them? Well, he for sure didn't give them a positive meme so they could have their best life now. No, he didn't do that. Look at number two, prioritize faith over family. Well, let's see if we can maybe bring ourselves into this text a bit. How would you respond if you were in that crowd and Jesus pivoted sharply and he looked right at you? looked right into your eyes, and he made this statement. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
Let me remind you, these are the words of Jesus. And they're intended for each one of us. Would you observe, it says, if anyone comes to me. It's not just the super spiritual. It's not just the missionaries. No, it's anyone, which means it's every one of us. In his book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, Neil Postman writes this, I'm not mistaken in saying that Christianity is a demanding and serious religion. When it is delivered as easy and amusing, well, then it's another kind of religion altogether. The crowd wanted what they thought Jesus would give them, not knowing that following Christ would cost them everything. And so let's allow the demands of discipleship in this passage to shock and rock us. Imagine how offensive this statement would have been to those in a culture where honoring parents was the highest obligation and family was one's greatest joy. By the way, you can't say you have discipleship down just because you hate your brothers or sisters. Now, it's important to know a common Jewish view. In the Messianic era, in other words, when the Savior, the Messiah, were to come, that time was to be preceded by a time of, time of disharmony in family relationships. With these weighty words, Jesus was announcing he was the Messiah and referencing Micah 7, verse 6, which reads, For the Son treats the Father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Now, the word for hate means to detest or abhor. Let me be quick to say, Jesus is not saying we're to act in a hateful way toward our families. No, the Bible's clear. We're to honor our parents, Exodus 20, 12. Husbands are to love their wives, and wives are to respect their husbands, Ephesians 5, 33. Dads are not to exasperate their kids, Ephesians 6, 4. Mothers are to love their husbands and children, Titus 2, 4. Grown children are to care for their parents when they're no longer able to do so, 1 Timothy 5, 8. So our challenge today is to understand this expression without minimizing the demands of discipleship. The bottom line is, since there will inevitably be conflict between following Christ and family ties, you and I must prioritize faith over family. The word hate in the Bible often expresses priority and preference, not emotional hatred. A Hebrew idiom, in Hebrew idiom, hate can mean to love less. J. Vernon McGee offers this insight. A believer's love for Christ should be such that by comparison, it looks as if everything else is hatred. Warren Wiersbe offers a similar thought. Our love for Christ must be so strong that all other love is like hatred in comparison. The stress here is on the priority of love. Now, we know that that's behind the meaning because in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, a parallel passage, Jesus says this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So in the world of the Bible, they didn't have lukewarm words for liking someone. They had two choices, love or hate. 
We see that in Genesis 29, 30 and 31, where it says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, and in the very next verse, it describes her as being unloved. Unloved. So it's clear Jacob loved Rachel more, so in comparison, Leah was unloved. Jacob did not detest or have any hostility toward her. Now, having said that, Let's not minimize the cost to your relationships with family members when you faithfully follow Jesus Christ. And for some of you, your faith has already led to some family feuds. Maybe your parents don't understand your faith. Maybe your spouse doesn't share your spiritual priorities. Maybe your children think you're too fanatical. But one time, after Peter mentioned how much they had left in order to follow the Lord, Jesus said these words, Mark 10, 29 and 30, Truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. It's interesting, he adds, with persecutions. Jesus promised persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. So we're called to love and live for Christ first and foremost, even if our families don't follow him. So whatever you've lost because of Christ, you will receive a hundred times, listen, Now, in this time, what what will you receive? Brothers, sisters. Hey, I have four sisters. I don't want a hundred, but... And mothers. So where do you get so many siblings? Where do you get parents? In the church. You see, your faith family is meant to be more substantial than the bonds of a physical family relationship. And it doesn't matter if you're here by yourself and some of you are, or you're engaging online alone, or if you're a child or a teenager, if you're single or married, if you're divorced or widowed or an empty nester, we are family. I'm not going to sing that song for you either. So before leaving the theme of faith and family, Kevin DeYoung describes two extremes related to families. This is quite helpful. The first is family as nothing. In this one, it'd be like the family is a straitjacket. A family's like, like messing you up because you're not able to do what you want to do. In this view, kids are just, well, kids are to be seen and not heard or maybe not even seen. Well, let's go to the other extreme. If one extreme is family as nothing, the other extreme is family as everything. I don't have time to develop this, so let me just make one statement. If the sin of parents a generation ago was to ignore their family, today it's to make children our idols. But let me move on to number three. Love the Lord more than your life. Here Jesus sits at the very heart of human relationships to make sure that following him comes first, and then he brings it closer to home by challenging all of us to lay aside our personal ambitions, our goals, uh, and our very lives. 
Well, listen again to what Jesus said. If anyone comes to me and does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew, Levi, demonstrated that. He left his old life when called by Jesus, Luke 5.28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Friends, it's really easy to be a fickle fan of Jesus. It's much more difficult to be a faithful follower. A commitment to Christ is costly. Some time ago, I was talking to a young adult, and I had a gospel conversation with him, and I was sharing Christ with him, and I was urging him to be born again. I was urging him to be saved, and I could tell something was holding him back, so I just said, hey, is something holding you back? Immediately, this is how he answered, yes, commitment. And I complimented him. I said, listen, what you're doing is counting the cost. That's important to do because becoming a Christian means dying to self and living for the Savior for the rest of your life. You don't just add Jesus to your life like an app on your phone and keep living like you're living. No, he calls us to live for him the rest of our life. Number four, fully surrender to his supremacy. Drop down to verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That word bear means to take up, to raise. Unfortunately, we've romanticized the cross. We've turned it into something we put on our walls or wear around our necks. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but let's remember the cross was carried by condemned criminals. And it ended with a humiliating and excruciating execution. Everyone knew the person carrying a cross was saying goodbye to everything. And there was no turning back. So according to Jesus, discipleship must involve death to self our independence, our agenda, our expectations. We'll drill more into that next weekend. But speaking of those who are completely committed to Christ, I think of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted and some martyred for their faith. Revelation twelve eleven. for they loved not their lives even unto death. Well, let me ask a question. It's a couple questions. Are you willing to renounce every person, every possession, and especially yourself in order to follow Christ. Let me ask it this way. What is it that's keeping you from following fully? Is it commitment? An unholy habit? An ungodly relationship? You know it's wrong, but you don't want to stop. Is it sinful pleasure? In Pastor Ray's online revelation class this week, and many of us are taking advantage of that, he referenced the church at Ephesus that had abandoned the love that they had at first. And in Revelation 2.5, Jesus challenged them to remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember, repent, Repeat. I like how one pastor summarized this passage. Salvation is both absolutely free, 
Uh, And yet it costs you your very life. You receive it freely. No expense to you. But once you receive it, you've just committed everything you are and have to Jesus Christ. The best gift you can give to your family is for you to make your faith and their faith your top priority. The family's foundational, but following Christ must come first. And the way to enter the family of faith is by receiving what Jesus has done for you on the cross. John 1, 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's how you enter God's family who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. So the key is not who you're related to, but whether or not you have repented and received Christ. Determined to follow Jesus as a devoted disciple for the rest of your life. Because when Christ calls you, he bids you to come and die. We want to transition here. Now I want to invite Pastor Tim and Pastor Kyle up. Pastor Tim and Pastor Kyle have been thinking, praying, uh, dreaming, strategizing about discipleship for months. Uh, Well, really all through COVID, but God birthed that in your hearts even before that. And I wondered if you could um, give us an idea of how important it is, just to tag from the sermon, to prioritize faith over family? Well, from my perspective, uh, knowing that God is our creator, we'll not stand before our family to give an account of our life, but before our God, Mm. or our creator. That's a little sobering, but it's the truth. And I would also say that putting family before faith is a bit short-sighted because uh, it's, it's elevating the temporal or what I want in the, in the moment above what God wants okay. for all eternity. Mm. Good perspective. Well, Brian, yeah, you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about earlier when Kevin DeYoung said the family is nothing or the family is everything. And it seems in our culture, we're a culture of extremes, and we, the pendulum seems to swing back and forth to things like that. Uh, but when we make the family everything, we reinforce the false idea that the world revolves around them, around our children. And they begin to believe that and think that is true. And we, we live that out in our lives when we prioritize things like extracurricular activities or gatherings on Sundays rather than church or discipleship at home. Our children see that. They know what we prioritize based on what we do. And so we as parents, we have to be careful and understanding and knowing mm. um, what we prioritize. Mm. Mm. Well said. Um, God's been building a passion for discipleship in both of your lives. Share a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's been kind of a long journey ever since I got into ministry about 10 years ago. You know, discipleship was being talked about more and more. More and more books were coming out on it. People were preaching about it more. And, and one of those things, but you have to understand, it's, I believe it's more than just a trend that we were seeing in the church because it was, it's in the Bible. It's biblical. It's all over scripture. Mm. And so for me, it was just getting into that idea of like, what is discipleship? What does that look like? And, and how can we implement, implement that into our ministries? And now after 
being in ministry that long, now I'm finally finding ways to do that, I think, more effectively. Uh, but ultimately, it comes from the desire to live out Matthew 28 from Scripture. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So making disciples, we're all about that. We're all about baptizing here in this Baptist church. Uh, but then I think the thing where we, we've, we've missed the mark at times is teaching uh, those who come to Christ, coming alongside them, mm. doing life with them, helping them to grow in their faith and not just saying, hey, yeah, you're saved and now good luck. Or, you know, hopefully you can make it to church or join this group or that group. That's part of it. But coming alongside people who, who need to learn what it means to follow Jesus and they can see that better and older, mm. uh, more mature believers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Everything here has a growth aspect to it. But uh, if we're not intentional in some areas in our own lives and then in seeing that other people have needs that are very specific, then we're going to kind of miss out on actually good growth opportunities. And so uh, recognizing that we can be more productive by having a little more structure to discipleship and in, an intentionality uh, to make sure that we're zeroing in on uh, things in our own life, first of all, and then uh, being able to specifically help people with mm-hmm. things that are foundational in their mm-hmm. spiritual development, I think is just key. Mm-hmm. You guys both obviously come from different generations. And I've been reading, you guys have helped me with this, the importance of intergenerational discipleship. You two are modeling it, even as you spend time together. Uh, why is that so important? Well, we each, uh, each generation or each age level kind of sees life just a little differently. And so there's great value in that when you think about it. Um, Khaled uh, mentioned the, the older teaching the younger, which is a biblical principle. But when you think of Jesus, he was, he was in his 30s. And so um, every age level has uh, a viewpoint, a perspective, a set of experiences mm-hmm. um, that, that they can share with others mm-hmm. that will help others in, in the discipleship mm-hmm. process. And um, if we are not involved in that, we're not sharing that which we can and what God's blessed us with uh, in giving it out to others. Mm. There's a hole there somewhere if that's, that's not happening, mm-hmm. right? That's good. Yeah, but we all have unique perspectives, and, but we see this in Scripture. Paul was pouring into Timothy, and Timothy was supposed to pass it on to faithful men who'd be able to teach others also, Second Timothy 2. And then Titus 2, we see that, specifically the older teaching the younger. And we see that with the older women teaching the younger women uh, in there. And so we see that in Scripture. It's important to understand with the generations of those unique perspectives. And we can help each other. We can help push each other uh, towards those things. Not real hard now. No, no, no. (laughs) Of course not, Tim. (laughs) But I think that uh, is important. Uh, Sometimes the older generations can get set in their ways. And younger generations need to learn to slow down at times. And so we, we help each other mm-hmm. in those things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Give us an idea of what God's been doing. God's always at work. This last year, let's say, what are you seeing God do, particularly in the area of intentional discipleship? Well, when, when the COVID pandemic hit, ministry changed. Mm-hmm. And um, 
we were all kind of staying at home and trying to stay healthy and so on. And I, I was growing in my desire to, to see something more specific in discipleship. And so I started a Zoom meeting with um, four other individuals, and we started talking about what discipleship is. And if you're going to do that, you have to have a definition mm-hmm. for it. And so mm-hmm. we wrestled for many weeks with um, what what is a disciple and what is a good definition. You, If you talk to 10 people who are Christians out in the community and ask them for a definition of discipleship, they would probably all give you a little bit, a little mm-hmm. bit of a different flavor. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to have something here at Edgewood that was biblical, that um, said the things that God wanted us to focus on in foundational issues with um, with discipleship. So we spent a lot of time mm-hmm. on that, and then uh, created some teaching materials. We looked at curriculum, things, uh, books, and and ways of taking specific things into people's lives. Then uh, had their training. We had a pilot program here recently, and. Uh, taught people who wanted to be able to reach out to others in in discipleship, and um, so then we paired people up. Uh, Kyle's group had a number of people that were just raring to go with someone to teach them, and mm-hmm. so uh, we were able to create that, and um, that's kind of how it all got started. So cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have probably uh, thirty or so right now. Uh, youth, young adults, but also some older adults that are meeting with other believers who are discipling them. And I'm absolutely thrilled by that to see 30 already meeting. And I think in the future, it'd be amazing to see hundreds at Edgewood uh, learning from other believers, pouring into uh, younger believers. And uh, I'm just excited to see where things go with that as this becomes more part of our culture Mm -hmm. here at Edgewood. Anything more you want to add on that, on the vision of what you'd like to see happen? Yeah, I think just uh, seeing it become part of the culture. And I think in some ways, though, we have to may see some sort of a paradigm shift on what we prioritize Mm. uh, and what we talk about. It's part of the language, too, when you talk about discipleship. And Brian and I were talking about this before, but how cool would it be if, you know, before and after church um, in the future you start seeing and hearing more people talk about, hey, who are you discipling? Or who are you learning from? Rather than just, hey, what are your weekend plans? Mm-hmm. You know, hearing those types of things when it becomes part of our culture, you know that it's inundated when that's what people are talking about. Mm-hmm. They're talking about, how are you walking with Jesus? How are you learning from Jesus in the midst of learning from another believer? Mm. Yeah, creating that atmosphere yeah. of discipleship. And Allowing that to trickle down, that's been a concern of mine that each ministry here at Edgewood Mm -hmm. would have an emphasis, a thinking pattern toward discipleship, because that's that's more individualistic than just, you know, the mass of people that, that, you know, might be in a group. Um, Would also love to to see a structure to that, Mm -hmm. which we're creating, a kind of a flexible structure. Everybody has different needs at different points in their life, so it has to be somewhat flexible. But uh, being able to have a, a bit of a structure where people can jump in and, and be involved. And then I'd love to see it trickle even down to moms and dads, mm. uh, thinking, uh, how can I disciple my children? How can I disciple other family members? Um, God has called us to be influential. And 
as especially as parents, if we are not intentional in teaching specific things, if we just hope that they get mm-hmm. something, then it, it might not happen. Mm. Yeah, and uh, Tim, this reminds me, you had come back from vacation several years ago, and I, I've shared this in a sermon, so maybe you've heard it, but it, it bears repeating, is I asked Tim how his vacation was, and a big smile on his face, and he said, yeah, I really enjoyed discipling my grandkids. And it stunned me, <laughs> because his grandkids were very, they were very small. And God's used you to help me. I have five grandkids, and and so when I spend time with them, even if it's, you know, online uh, in the morning before I get up, before I come to the office, I often get to FaceTime with them. That's not just catching up, that, that's discipling opportunities. And, and this is really a message to dads, too. When, when you're with your children, you're not babysitting for their mom. You're discipling their, your children. So... Uh, Tim, circle back around. I want to come back to the definition of a disciple because that's so important. That drill down on that a bit. Okay, um, the one that's been given in your messages, and and we want to continue to use here is it's a believer who lovingly follows Christ and intentionally helps others to follow Him. And when we were talking over Zoom and we were sharing other definitions and so on, the one we wanted to end up on one was, was one that, that brought in certain scripture passages. And the lovingly followable believer, first of all, it's important if you call yourself a disciple of Christ, you have to believe in him. You have to trust him as your savior. But to... Um, to think of it in terms of the great commandment, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so when you lovingly follow Christ, the word follow is key there. He is ahead of you. He is giving you direction, and you are being subservient to that. And then, and, but if, if I'd ask practically everyone here, do you consider yourself a disciple of Christ? I think all of us who are believers would say yes. But the other half of that, definition is very important and intentionally helps others to follow him, which is the Great Commission. So we took the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, put them together Mm -hmm. and said, this is what God has called us to do. He has called us to grow ourselves, and and everybody here wants to grow or you wouldn't be here today, so good for you. (laughs) But that second part of it, intentionally helping someone else to grow, that's also a part of discipleship. And that's probably just as hard or harder than personal growth. But we want to be here to equip and to help and to encourage. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate the, the people that, that we talk to, Kyle, one of them, and, and others. And, and then ultimately, I sit down with you, and we, we came to a conclusion on what yeah. we're going to use as, as a definition of discipleship. and. I believe it, it, it creates the most important points that we need to emphasize. Absolutely. The definition is directional. It, it gives, yep. This is what we're doing. Yeah. Kyle, what's it like for you seeing so many students and young adults taking the spiritual disciplines seriously? Yeah, it's, it's been amazing just to see um, how God has um, used this in their lives. And so we started the, towards the beginning of the year. Just doing 40 days of discipline, so focusing on 
prayer, which has been a, a big priority. You know, we're doing a, another all-church prayer night next week. Uh, but there have been some young adults that have started prayer gatherings twice a week on their own in, in different homes. And they've done that on their own. So mm. for that, I, I see that uh, what we're doing is becoming more of a movement. You know, that's part of our vision and mission statement with Mainspring, a movement of college and 20s committed to worship, community, discipleship, and mission. So it's more than just a gathering, something where we get together and have a Bible study, but something that takes place all the time. And so uh, seeing them practice uh, that with, with prayer, with fasting, uh, fasting from, from food, from meals, um, from caffeine or sugar or social media, things that aren't necessarily bad things, but they can distract us at times. And so we, we put those aside for a time in order to spend more time with Christ. Mm. So many are doing that, uh, focus on Scripture and Matthew that we're reading through and Scripture memory from the book we're going through in the discipleship uh, called Growing in Christ. And then uh, just being intentional in these discipleship groups, having accountability with one another. You're constantly checking in, uh, but then also doing life together. And so then you're constantly always being challenged. Coming to church on Sundays is so important. We need that in our lives. But who's checking on you throughout the week, asking you, hey, how are you putting into practice what you learned on Sunday? How are you doing with that thing that you were struggling with? That is what discipleship does. It brings things to the next level. Mm -hmm. You got kind of excited talking I did, about I that. I did, yeah. That was good. It's awesome. There's a lot that God is doing. Could you just pick one of the stories that you're aware of? And then, Tim, if you could share as well. What, what are you seeing? Yeah, yeah. So I've been meeting with a, a couple guys for a few months now. So I've been meeting with uh, these two guys in their early 20s, John and Ethan. And uh, just seeing what it's done in their lives already and prioritizing prayer and, and scripture, being in that weekly, checking in with each other. And the more you get into that, the more you grow spiritually, the more accountability you want, the more you want to grow. And so that's, a, that, that's the thing I challenge you with is if you feel stagnant in your faith or you're like you've plateaued or whatever that looks like, if you have more accountability in your life or you're pouring to somebody else, that's going to make mm -hmm. you want to be prepared to pour right. into them and those kinds of things. So I've been meeting with these guys and one of the things that we always talk about, it's okay, how can we live this out in your life? How can you live out the things that you're learning about on mission as we talk about all the time? And just being aware that everywhere you go, God could, can and could use you um, if we have our eyes open and we're prepared for those things. And so it was very interesting. It was just really cool, amazing story. Uh, Ethan, a couple weeks ago, he was coming home from work and he got off later than he normally would and he went home a different way. Uh, than he normally does. And as he's driving down the road, there was a, a, a bank down to the, to the right, and he saw a man down in the like ditch. Like a snow bank. Yeah. yeah. He saw a man down in the ditch that was struggling, and he, he passed him and, and, and turned around and stopped and helped this man. This man was basically half frozen. Uh, he, he helped them into his car, and they called an ambulance and that was going to meet them up the road. They got in touch with this man's wife um, to get him the help uh, that he needed. but. Once he started talking to this man, he realized this, this man had been outside all day. He had been in the woods, and he was basically planning on ending his life. He was going to just stay out there until he froze to death. But then he changed his mind and started coming out, and Ethan was the one that found him right at the right moment. And uh, so you think about how God can use us if we're just paying attention. Mm. Reminds me of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Ethan was paying attention 
to those around him, and he was able to help them and offer to pray for them and get that man to safety and off mm-hmm. to the hospital. And so uh, I think we will see more and more things like that when we're aware of what's going on around us, but those things are triggered, I, I believe, by spiritual growth, by what yeah. the Holy Spirit is doing within us. Amen. Amen. And it makes me think of the times I've missed opportunities mm. because I'm all up in my own world. Mm. I'm, not, I'm there, but I'm not observing. I'm not looking for somebody in yeah. pain or hurt. Thanks for sharing that. Tim. Well, in our uh, pilot program, we had both men and women uh, trying to encourage them and give them some structure on being able to disciple others. And a lady from there um, went out with, with uh, the intent of, of connecting with some younger ladies. And so she did. And I talked to one of those younger ladies, ladies just recently, and I said, what, what is the discipleship doing in your life? And she said, well, I have been around Christianity all my life. And I know a lot of things, but what it's done for me is to take me deeper into things that I already know. Mm. And one thing that they mentioned was was prayer. And I know uh, many Christians struggle with prayer, mm. and so just that being able to get together and process things together helped her to grow deeper into things that she had already been accustomed to, but uh, really hadn't you know, taking those next steps mm. with. Uh, there was uh, a young man that I've, I spent some time discipling. We went through some materials together. And um, I, I asked him, what, you know, what came out of all of that to you? What, what, what changes did you make? He said, well, the biggest thing was God had been dealing with some things that I hadn't taken care of in my life. And being able to talk about those things and process those things caused me to take some steps to resolve some unresolved issues mm. in his life. And that just freed up his spirit and mm. caused him to be, well, more joyful, sure. more happy because he wasn't continually wrestling with things he knew he needed to take care of. And then I was just thrilled. He said, now I'm taking that same material and I'm, I've already gotten some people and we're going through it with them too because it helped me so much. Yeah. So, Which is where multiplication then happens. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So he's experiencing freedom and he wants others to experience it as well. Yeah. Outstanding. For people listening or engaging online, they might be thinking, I'm sort of interested in this or I'm very interested. What would you suggest? Well, first of all, make a decision. Um, this is hanging out in front of us, all of us. Discipleship. What am I going to do with it? So, and make an intention. Say, I'm going to be involved in discipleship. I may not completely understand what that looks like right now, but that's what we want to do is be able to help people sort that out. Um, so making that decision to be intentional, making sure that that definition, you're, you're living that definition. First of all, be a disciple yourself. You can't take somebody somewhere you're not. And so... Uh, make sure that you're growing as a disciple in Christ and then looking for someone to intentionally help to follow. And that, uh, that doesn't have to necessarily be in a structured program either. We're, mm-hmm. we're going to put some structure on it and, and it'll be helpful, but that simply means whoever God brings into your life, there may be someone at work that is coming to you. I just had a conversation with someone recently. He said somebody at work came to them and uh, started asking them about their faith. Well, that's an, that's 
part of the discipleship process, sharing, being influential. And God will bring people into our lives. He already has some people in our lives, our children, our friends, um, other people. So being intentional uh, in that. And then we are going to have a... a, uh, uh, an interest meeting, if you just want to explore this a little bit more, on February 25th at 7 o'clock. That's a Thursday night here. And whether you want to be discipled or you want to start discipling others, uh, we want to have some discussions on that and help you take some next steps with that. Well, and we'll get more information out if people yep. didn't write that date down. Okay. Yeah, and I would just say be praying about this. If God has put this on your heart, and hopefully he has, praying about the people that he has placed in your life. Um, I believe he's intentionally done that. Perhaps these are people you could learn from or people that you could pour into. But sometimes, again, we have to ask God to help us to see that and to be intentional about praying. God, who are the people that you placed in my life that you want me to invest in or learn from? And I think starting there and just um, being open to wherever God uh, takes you on that. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Hey, church, let's give them a hand for what God has been doing through them. Thanks, you guys.